Welcome to the next and newest episode of the Gun Dog Notebook. This is your host, Darrell Smith, coming out of Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about bird dogs, friends, and the experiences and histories made in the field, sharing the love and passion for the things bird hunting and gun dogs. I'd like to thank my previous, current, and future guests, including Macamo Kennels and Dog Beds, Field Dog Imagery, and a host of others for providing the audio and social media content and partnerships used to make this podcast what it is. Stay tuned, you guys. This is the Gun Dog Notebook. Okay, guys, we are back with a um, a new segment of the Gundog Notebook podcast with my good buddy who was just on the um, last episode, Robin Watson. So just to talk a little bit about what we have going on, um, Robin was courteous enough to, you know, extend some training information. And, and I think it will be important for a lot of my listeners to, uh, you know, to hear someone that's that's really knowledgeable and truthful and um someone that i just really respect in terms of uh you know training and a lot of his ideals so robin is going to be here with us pretty regularly and um you know just just again feel free to throw in any questions if you, you get them because it all helps us all out at the same and um you know who doesn't like a good a good well-trained dog so to go ahead and get started robin um what I wanted to do, man, is first talk a little bit before we really get into the questions. I first want to talk about um, the pride dog food and, and just really open up with that, because before we get into training and all kinds of things like that, we got to feed our dogs correctly. Right. Definitely. It's <laughs> a very, very important thing. Now, it's, it goes down to what we all said before on your other things. Some things work for certain people some some other things some other foods work for other dogs now every dog's not the same but since i've been over in the u.s i have fed a numerous different foods numerous different foods but i came across this pride dog food and my dogs were just absolutely fantastic now as dog trainers and people with kennels, and it's a little bit different if you've got, you know, just one dog or something like that. But, you know, not everybody can afford to feed to, to feed the buffalo and the call of the wild and these extreme dog foods. But also, when you look at certain dog foods and they're up around 50 and $60 a bag, and eighty dollars a bag or fifty dollars a bag, and you see that they are putting in chicken livers, chicken necks, chicken spleens, all that sort of thing. You would think a lot once you start getting around 
the $45 to $50 a bag, you would like to think that's white chicken in there. Right. And it's not. Now, I did speak to a a very well-known dog food company um, a few, quite a few uh, months ago now, and I asked them, what do you put in there? And they said, well, it's spleens, livers, hearts, etc." <laughs> and they said, well, it's the first thing the dog eats in the wild. And I said, what? So they, they go in there, pull all the feathers up, off and going straight into the guts instead of eating that lovely white meat. Right. And I said, well, that's a bit of, I said, that's a bit of BS. So anyway, going along the way, I fed different foods and I came across the pride dog food. Now, the stools are fantastic. Their coats look fantastic. Their whole energy and, you know, and stalls and stuff are very, very good on it. Mm-hmm. And this man will not be changing. Wow. The pride dog food I've found to be the best dog food since I've been in the USA. Excellent. 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 And, and they do a wide range of foods. They do the puppy. They do... All sorts of different protein levels, but the main, the thing about this company, they haven't even need to change their bag of food in the last, I believe, five years ago was the last time they changed an ingredients on a bag. Wow, so that tells you it's working. Right, it's I mean, if yeah. the wheel ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Exactly that, and I mean, they, the foxhound guys feed it, the pointer guys feed it, but I don't think it is well known now that people don't see it out there and lot is you know i think it goes to different farm shops in different places mm-hmm. but i'm sure um you know if anybody wants to try it they can email you and you could certainly put them in contact with a company yep definitely for sure um actually uh mike would i want to get him on the podcast um pretty soon he's the uh representative that you know you put me in contact with and uh quite you know and between you and Mike, you know, telling me about it and just kind of doing my own research, of course, it's always important to do it. Um, and knowing just all of that stuff that you just said about, you know, what these manufacturers are putting in the dog food, that was enough to get me to go out and try it. And, um, you know, I got two bags over here now. <laughs> my dog is swallowing it yeah, up. I, so. I personally use the orange one. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different, you know. Everybody's different in their protein levels, etc. Um, and I am a believer in, you know, the summer or if your dogs aren't doing quite so much, keeping the protein levels down. Mm-hmm. I mean, otherwise, like, you know, putting a putting um, aviation fuel in your truck if you're not careful, where's it going to go? Right. And you know, not everybody. If we think about it, our Labradors really, and I'm not saying the field truck, the big high-charging field drive dogs, but our hunting dogs, really, you know, yeah, they go out several times uh, in the season and stuff like that, but they're not working flat out the whole time. Right. You know, there is a rest bite. They're not like a sheepdog. They're not like a husky. And I think we just got to be careful on protein levels, you know? Right. And I'm a great believer in thinking, you know, let's, let, let's just keep an eye on things. I'm a great believer. I'd rather keep my dogs slightly lighter than too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, better they. 
Right. Now, let's talk about this in terms of, you know, weight and things like that, then because we that start getting a bit overweight, we start sweating, you know, we do, you know, we just got to keep an eye on it. It's, it's down to us, you know, to, to give the dogs more, or give them less. It's down to us because they'll eat whatever you put in front of them. Right. Right. Um, and that's important. Um, so what I wanted to do was talk a little bit also about the, um, the various formulas, right? Because at, for the longest time, yeah. you know, I made the mistake in, uh, you know, feeding my dog a, a 30, like a 30, 20 plan or something like that. It was like way too much. And, um, yeah. so what are the differences when you see on the bags, like your 31, 22 and your 26, 18 and 21, 17, what does that all mean? I'm actually using the orange bag at the moment. I mean, it, it's a very good food. I believe mm-hmm. it's 27. Is it 27, 20. 27, 20. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I would quite happily go down to a 21 or a 22, you know? Right. But, you know, my dogs are doing well on this, and I'm not, you know, that their digestion system's good on it. Uh, their teeth are good on it. Their energy levels are good on it, so I'm not changing. But there are certainly lots of different levels, like the the pointers that are you know put through on the horseback and the foxhounds. Mm. They obviously need a bit more energy, right? Because they are charging all day. Um, and I, you know, I, I think every kennel person is different, but pride, I can't recommend it enough. Right, right. I really can't, and I believe. Once you've tried your bags, I think you'll be jumping up and down. And and if you're paying fifty or sixty dollars a bag, let's say, and you're running the kennels there, or training kennels, you're gonna give yourself a pay rise as well without doing anything. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I I believe it, man, because and that was the thing, you know, a lot of manufacturers will get over and the the marketing and advertisement and all of that stuff is great, right? And you, you know, you think that you're supposed to go buy this great big old bag of dog food because that's what people are telling you. But it's really about what's in the food. And though I didn't I didn't necessarily start with the pride, like I said, figuring out what's going to be good with for your dog and then trying yeah. it out. That's going to be what's most important because, you know, they also have to like it. But again, what like you said earlier, what sense does it make that a dog is gonna go and eat basically all the the crap inside of the creature, right? Instead of the good meat. I don't think dogs are that exactly. Stupid. No, they're not gonna be able to get in and eat it to start off with. They gotta go in through the top to eat it. Right. Either pull the head off and get into the breast bones and get into the cavities. They've gotta go in somewhere or other. I mean in England we used to and I think I may have told you, we used to go down to the chicken processing plant. And we used to go and get chicken bones and grind chicken bones down. Right. We used to, we used to go and buy seven hundred and fifty kilos every month. What? Yeah, and we used to put it through the grinder, and we still would feed a biscuit like your pride, mm-hmm. and put a bit of chicken meat on top, and that was the best our dogs ever looked. Wow! But they look just the same on pride now. Right. That is... Now I'll give my dogs chicken wings or chicken pie or chicken, and it helps clean the teeth. Mm-hmm. Just now, but, for the people that would that you know don't necessarily know, are you just giving it raw to them, or is it like cooked or anything like that? 
you know, we mince it down. You would think you're going into McDonald's and having a McDonald's chicken burger. That's, <laughs> that's, how color it, that's the color it comes out at. Okay. And we, we used to freeze it in buckets. We had big industrial freezers. We used to freeze it down in buckets, but you've got to be careful on how much you freeze at one time right. because the outside freezes for the inside Right. if you're not careful. Right. If you try and do it too big. So what we used to try and do is do a, uh, we used to have some big fr- fridges as well. We used to try and do two days worth at a time. Work out how much we get them and that's what we do. Okay. But we still always feed it with biscuit as well. Right. Well, I'm here so for it. And, you know, these dogs need the best, you know, proper nutrition and i think it's just really getting down to the things that are important man because you see so many things on these dog food bags as grain free this and yeah i don't know man you would think the dog is like a, a vegan you. or you something still have... like that. i've lost you bud hello yeah can you hear me hello can you hear me now yeah i lost you i lost you for a minute gotcha. but i think you've got you know whatever you put into your dog it's what you get out. And if whatever we can do to help them on their way, it buys you extra years and it buys you extra time with your dog. I mean, most of us, the majority of my dogs have all made it to about 14, 15 years old. Nice. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying they're working flat out at that age, around 12, 13, you know, you, you take them out, you shoot them a bird, but it's more out of sympathy than... Uh, than taking them out, you know, right. you go and do it because they've earned the right to go and get a bird every year. Right. Um, but it, they certainly worked flat out until eleven and twelve. So you think you think that right there is probably the the prime age where they yeah, uh, they kind of level out a little bit. They do, and they you know they start to get a few ailments, don't they? You know, yep. like me and you will probably get as we get older, you know, you get your aches and pains and stuff going on. They don't quite get hold of it. And who knows, you know, we shot that far, that close to them. They start to become a bit deaf. Yeah. And, um, you know, and their eyesight starts to go. But, you know, the matter shoot me, like, they don't get to wear earmuffs, do they? You know? So, you know, they would, they would certainly, um, 12, 13, we used to take them out, you know, take them. I'm gonna, we'll take them out at 13 and 14, but, you know, it's, like I said, it's more part taking them out for them to enjoy it than, than to be much used to it, really. Right. No, I'm I'm here for it, man. And, nobody, you know, nobody wants to think about their dog getting that old, but it is coming, you know, and, and it's just something that we got to be aware, aware of. So, hey, let me ask you this, um, you know, to address some of the listener questions I had okay. one. I had one that uh, was sent in to me, and um, gentleman asked me, "Do playing games like frisbee hurt a puppy or a dog in training?" So are we talking as a gun dog. Yes. Yes, I would personally not. So this is what I do with my pups. So I get a. We're talking about a puppy. So I get a puppy. And I will throw it a retrieve to a couple of couple of times a day or mm-hmm. two. Okay. I personally wouldn't keep throwing it a fris- frisbee because we've got to remember at one point this frisbee is going to probably hopefully be a bird. Right. 
Now, if the kid's fighting about on the frisbee and things like that, then we're going to start to develop a bit of hard mouth. How's the dog meant to associate frisbee versus bird? So we're trying to stop it break, let it break on a frisbee. Right. We're trying to stop it breaking today. You know, and it, but it certainly doesn't hurt to throw them a ball, throw them a sock, throw them a little toy, as long as they bring it back to you. Right. But once you start the steadying process, watching the, the ball hit the ground and you're making them sit and stay, yes, it hurts them a great deal. Yeah. Now, do you think that that is the same for an older dog? No, no. Okay. I think once you, you know, a dog is going out and playing and it, it'll learn to sit and stay for you and tell it to sit and stay. But I, I would still really like to get it to sit and stay before I sent it to the frisbee. I would really like that because it's, it is still going to become something in the air. It's watching and it learns to break. Now, take that to the duck blind, thinks it's a frisbee. But I would like to think I could stop it and it would be a playtime and it wouldn't be, but I'd rather not do it. Right, right. It's just not worth the risk. I don't think so. I think, if, especially if you put a lot of hours into training it, what, what's the difference just making it sit and stay for the Frisbee and then sending it? Right. What's the difference? Mm, right. I mean, it, it, if you're going to do it, and I think that's important, man. Um, you know, you... Uh, I, you you definitely told me something that was significant on the last episode of the podcast with the uh, even with the tennis racket. Like me and my dog have started doing that, but instead of just you know whacking you know tape tennis balls all the way down the field, he uh, he again has to sit. He's got to stay. He's got to mark. He's got to do all Thank of you, that. Buddy. I just lost you then. Can you hear me now? I can quite easily. I did lose. You were saying about the tennis racket. Did you yeah. have to go with it? Yeah, so we um we actually started uh we actually started doing that this week and it's no you know it's a good way to incorporate, you know, daily dog training into something I do every day, right? So, I get oh, to work right, on my yeah. I get to work on my tennis swing and he has to sit stay and, you know, heal until I send him. And it also helps out too cuz I can knock that ball a, a 70, 100 something yards and it's still good practice, you know. Definitely. Yeah. And what you can do with those tennis balls, you know, if you get a bit of duct tape. Mm-hmm. That's you know, how I've been doing them. Last, it's stuck. And, but what you can do down the road, if you wanted to do this, you could throw it. But at the same, you know, hit it with a tennis racket, but at the same time, fire a little cat gun towards it. And there's mm-hmm. a bird coming down. Yep. Yep. Now you could, you could put a bit of quail scent on there. Your bottle quail scent. I think gun dog supplied sell that. Mm-hmm. And the quail sent in there, and you throw it, and you, and, and now it's starting to get a, even a seasoned dog thinks, "Whoa, that, that's a bird!" You know, they right. do, and they definitely think. But like you said, with the tennis ball, the thing about that is, it is once you got it picking bumpers and getting different weights. The thing with a tennis ball when you use it, sometimes it'll stay in the grass, sometimes it'll roll on three or four feet, or maybe ten foot. Now right. the dog's got to learn the trail, right? And, and and that's been my biggest thing. Um, 
you know, is working on is is working on that game finding ability. And I've noticed again in my dog, it was it took him a little bit longer because where he thought he saw that that tennis ball fall, it wasn't there. Okay. You know? and, and was he hunting it? Yeah, he was hunting was it. Hunting the area. Mm. Now this is the time when he's hunting that area. When you can be saying whether you use a whistle to do it, whether you use a voice to say. Hey boy, you're in the right area. Now I use the word steady, steady like that. Right. Talk to him. Steady, steady. I think over here a lot of people use hunt it up. Whatever you do. But the moment you start doing that and he finds it, take this to the shooting field. You shoot a quail, you shoot a dove, whatever, and you you know it's hit the ground, but you somehow you know it's it ran, you know, it's got away. Mm-hmm. You get into that area. And start saying steady, steady. He thinks, hey, I don't know something. And, and steady, steady. I'm in the area. Mm-hmm. And he learns to trail. And he learns to keep his nose down. Right. Oh, that's... Rather than charge around. That's great. Um, I I really think that's... Also... Go ahead. Also, you know, what you can do with these tennis balls. So you've got your training bag. Mm-hmm. And let's say you've got your launcher or your cap gun. Mm-hmm. You put your training training the tennis balls in there, okay? And you fire your launcher into the bag, putting shots in there. Huh. That Just makes a lot of sense because he's going to smell that scent. That's it. And then you're all of a sudden, we now got a dog. It's not just looking for um, quail scent, bird scent, your scent. It's looking now for shot scent. Which is going to find, especially if you hit that bird. Wow. Exactly. Wow. And that makes a lot of difference. Now, one thing I will say, well, we're just on the, the beginning side of things. Now, with your puppy, I mean, you see, we see a lot of dogs, don't we, around eight, nine months old, 12 months old, pulling them like huskies on a lead, pulling mm-hmm. people like huskies. Mm-hmm. Right. Why on earth don't people put it right as a puppy when that little puppy's only 12 pounds, 20 pounds? Why do they let it get to 80 pounds when it's pulling them harder and hurting their shoulders and not being very, not pleasurable to walk? Right. You know, so get your dog. What I always say to people, if you get this right at the beginning, like these commands, walking it on the lead, you know, pop a slip lead, Use use one of these slip leads which are proper, which tighten up, loosen up, tighten up, loosen up. You don't need a pinch prong collar. You don't need one of these harness type things that look like they belong to a pack, one of the you know parachuting people. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need all that. You just need a regular slip lead. If you get it right, I think sometimes as dog trainers, you know, amateur dog trainers, whoever you may think or whatever problems there are. We try and find an easy route round. Now, people go and buy a dog lead, which is 10 foot long or 20 foot long. It's never going to work at two foot after that. Right. Or three foot away from you. It's always going to work at 15 foot or whatever. So I always say, get your rules right as a puppy. Why the why it's small enough to be able to do it as enjoyment, you know? Mm-hmm. So you don't need to walk it miles. To start it off with, as a little puppy on a lead, just walk it 20 foot to start off with. Right. Get it used to the lead. Also, while this puppy's available, you know, as a puppy and it's looking up to you, 
is your best mate and everything like that, and it's proper. Get them coming back to you. It's easy to do this. You just walk the other way, whistle them to you. You don't know where it is, and it comes to you. And then you throw the ball or whatever you want, a little retrieve as a reward, or even a treat. Doesn't matter what you give it. Just pet it, make a fuss of it. Get it coming back as a youngster. Don't wait until it gets to 40 months old and think, my dog won't come home. Now I've got to go and do more about it. Right. It's some. It's a habit we've let develop, and now we're paying the prices for it. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's those little techniques that honestly, you know, I think I think we let it get by the wayside as people get so excited about a young dog, right? And and a, a right. lot of us hunters and, and, you know, field trialers and testers and anybody – you know, it's cool to have a, a young pup, and everybody wants to get that pup hunting right out the box, right? Oh, yeah, they see it with a bird in its mouth mm-hmm. before it's born, you know? And instead of focusing on the essentials, the basics, because, and, and you told me this, man, give that dog, you know, the first year to itself and, and just work on the essentials, healing, uh, sitting, and, you know, things like that. That's it. And it makes a difference. It makes a big difference to you. And then you've got something you're going to enjoy mm-hmm. the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And the better your dog is, I'll tell you, when you've got some really good dogs, you get invited to go to some special places to go and shoot and hunt. Absolutely. Because if people want to see your dog work. Right. Um, now, I mean, I've, you know, I've seen people, they turn up and the, the dog's jumping all over them. And, you know, and it, what happens then, the trouble is with all that, when it's jumping all over and it's 12 months old, they're bringing it to me to train it, and it's doing all this. At 12 months old, you know, I've got to be a little tougher on the dog by, you know, smacking on the nose saying, get down, or, you know, you don't want a dog that's the first thing it sees you every day, it hits you in the adult entertainment centre and makes you roll over on the floor, do you? Right. You know? No. Nope. You don't need that jumping up and hitting you in the nuts. Mm. It's not good for you. You know, it does do that. And then if you think about it at the play, you know, say you take, you get some kids come around and your kids are playing. All of a sudden, dog comes bouting out the door, jumps out, jumps into the kid, knocks it over. Then we've got an old, lots of different things going on then. Right. And that ain't the dog's fault because what's happened, it, it 10 weeks old, it doesn't matter. It, it don't hurt you if it jumps up. So people encourage it to jump up. Right. And, but then you're left with the problem. I always say, yeah, go down. If people come and see my pups. Yeah, you go and pet them, but pet them at their level, please. Mm-hmm. Jump up to you, because I've got to put up with it at the end, you know? Right. And um, don't want a dog coming up and jumping all over you, or, you know, you stop and talk to a friend on the side of the road, and then all of a sudden it's jumping up the side of your truck. Right. You know, you, nobody needs that. And that's what, that's what gives dogs a bad name, that type of thing. Well, you know, I, everyone... I, I think that, and, you know, I got recorded on um, the Release Hunting podcast um, two days ago. And, you know, uh, the gentleman that recorded me, Wes Hansen, he made mention that, like, he, he just got a, a new German short hair pointer, right? And right. he gets a few funny looks you know, when he goes to the dog park because he's got his dog, you know, on a, on a lead and other people are like, well, why don't you just let your dog run around, you know, because he's at a dog park? No. Why would you do that? No. 
you, it's not fair on people, is it? You know, mm-hmm. you let them run around. If you can trust your dog, yeah, take them around. But can you trust all the other dogs? Right. You know? That's right. The next question. And then you end up with a dog fight. But nobody wants to see a dog fight. No. Ends, right, does it? Because it doesn't. It break them up and all of a sudden you get bit. Right. Somebody will get bitten. And that's what happens. You know, so, and, and it's yeah. all, it would be my thought also, Robin, is... If I let my young puppy run around in a dog park with no order, structure, or anything, don't you think that dog is going to learn that anytime it's at a, it's around another dog, it can act crazy? So now let's go to a hunt test, especially consider a British field trial, right? That's no. not tolerated. Not at all. You know, they and... I don't want to be... Hunting out of control is not tolerated, you know? Right. Out of control, you know, you're on your way home. Right. You know, it's got to be listening. You know, you're a team. Mm-hmm. You tell it where to go. If not, if it's marked it and retrieving it, you leave it to itself. If, you, if you've seen it and the dog hasn't seen it or you've been told where it is by another judge, the other side of the line, then you've got to go where they ask you to go. Right. And the big thing is over there, if you don't make the area, okay, and they never find the bird, but your other pe- three people, you know, that have tried for the bird have made the area, you are thrown out for not making the area. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you're given a specific space area, and, you know, we've all, as handlers, we've all had dogs that haven't got to the area. Yeah. But you you try and cross your fingers and think, did I make the area or not? And when you start thinking of that, you know damn well you haven't. So, you, you know, you're crossing everything and you hope you get away with it. Right. But, you know, you <laughs> right. You get, you get thrown out. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, we're going back to the crippled bird. If we're out shooting, we've shot a bird and we can't get our dog to that area and it's laying there alive all night because our dog ain't good enough or it's gone across the bank or it's gone across somewhere else and you can't find it and you think, oh, I think my dog's give it a go. You know, but it comes back to keeping our sport alive mm-hmm. and, you know, picking these birds and being right by the game, not just, you know. And I think it, it helps. You know, it does help. Right. It helps us keep the sport longer. That's for sure. Well, it helps us keep the sport. It helps people respect the sport. You know, people that have no idea because, you know, it's important, man, to remember, you know, most people that are either going to listen to this podcast or pick up a training book or even remotely think about hunting a dog. Most of those people are not the general public. The general public sees what we do as bad sometimes, honestly, you know, or, or, yeah. So you have to be responsible. You have to be responsible in making sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. Like, retrieve your birds. Your dog needs to be mannerable. All of these things are going to speak to keeping the sport alive and, and advancing it, you know? Well, we're looking after the sport for the next generation, aren't we? Right. That's so if we look after it, they get to do it. If we don't, they don't. Right. You know, and, and gradually by... You know, you get more and more anti-field sports or anti-shooting. and You know, we call them anti-field sport people over there, sabotage or whatever in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, and the more ammunition we give them, you know, and it, 
and I and I know, I know in England, we all respect the game. We all try to find the game. We all go out on the next day if everybody thinks it's a wound. But I know people go out and do it. Right. They respect the game, and I know people respect the game over here as well. Right. I've seen. You know, these people wouldn't be all so keen to train their dogs and things like that. So, you know, I've got the highest respect for everybody that, you know, takes a dog out with them. Now, if somebody's shooting without a dog, I'm not sure if they got so much respect for the game. Right. I mean, it just... It may- going out on their own around the pond, shooting yep. the bird, yep. dropping it in the pond. And and there you go. I mean, I, I had a situation. I witnessed a situation like that uh, on my first time going to Kansas hunting. You know, we're out there and, and we were out for a good little while and the ducks flew in. And, you know, some guys a uh, little bit further down the uh, down the pond for me, you know, they had shot a bird, but they didn't have a dog. So that duck fell into the water. And no. because it was so much action going on, they couldn't retrieve it immediately. And what happened, by the time all the shooting was over, they were calling us and our dogs because they couldn't find their duck, and that duck was never retrieved. No. Well, I know a lot of places, and, well, all of them, but a lot of the keepers, if there's there's ice on the lake and the dogs, they won't put the dogs on the ice. Yeah. They won't shoot the duck. They won't shoot. They won't shoot that drive. Yeah. that, That day. If there's... Anyway, they can't get that bird. They don't do it. They don't, you know. Our gamekeepers are, you know, very, very respectful. Yeah. And and, and so are the hosts. So are the owners of the shoot. Right. They, you know, they, they, they go out for the occasion. They go out for the shooting. They go out. The birds all go off to the game dealer. And they're most, you know, most of them go to the restaurants and or people eat them. But what I'm trying to say there is so they do it for respect for the game. Mm-hmm. And they certainly wouldn't. I've seen I've seen um, shoots called off in the snow because the, the pheasants can't see where they're, they're going. Yep. You know, so they're just flying straight up in the air. I've seen many a keeper call the end of the day for it. Many. Wow. I mean, but that's sometimes you have to do it and, and just respecting it. Um, yeah. And so it's important. Let me ask you this, man. Um, so you posted recently on uh tibia gun dogs that you actually have in the cover that I'm going to use for this podcast is that litter of, uh, all black field trial, field trial litter, uh, puppies. Oh yeah. So how yeah. are you going to train them? Like start from, cause they're so young is it would be actually kind of cool to follow that. So how are you going to start those dogs? I'll just start the same as. Any other dog, just keep them coming back to me. You know, even when now we're feeding them, we're feeding them solid food. Um, so every day, I mean, uh, I'm in there every day, three times a day, four times a day anyway. Yeah. So I'm already bonding with them. We, we wormed them all that time. I'm already watching the dogs. And and they will just be out and about once they've had their first vaccination on the floor. And we will just, you know, all I do... My, the first bumper I give my dogs, I tie a sock, put one sock inside another one, tie a knot in it, and let all eight of them charge around with it. Right. In their mouth. And then I just start throwing things for them and get them to follow me, be confident around me, confident around noises. And so 
it's a big confidence building exercise on the way to training. Mm-hmm. People call it head start or whatever. I just call it training for, you know, preparation for training, whatever you want to call it, you know, label it how you like. But I, that's how I do it. You know, and I just, the way I pick mine, I always have the one that's left. Right. <laughs> always have. You uh, just kept the last one. Yeah. I mean, I've bred them. I should stand by my breeding. Now it's a bit different if I've got, you know, one a yellow one and there's all black, that's different. But if I, you know, that's the only criteria I'll use. If I want a female, well, I'll, I'll choose from the females. But generally, I will have the one that's left. Okay, cool, cool. Now, when you, uh, you know, when when someone is going to get a litter of dogs and they, they may, let's say they get it in the spring, right? Where most people okay. get their dogs, right? And they've spent yep. all of this time, uh, you know, properly getting them socialized and things. And all through the summer, they've done everything. And somebody's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I really want to get this little puppy, maybe not out hunting, but just experience into the early fall season. You know, how can somebody, let's say, take or would you even take your puppy out to the field that early, even if you're not hunting no. them? No, definitely not. Okay. I, I'm a great believer in getting everything right. You can give it a pigeon. You can give it a duck that's out that comes out of your freezer. You can get one where one of your friends is shot. Why don't you give it, you know, a cold one? It doesn't have to be a hot one. But I, I would much rather get everything, like the steadiness, the handling down. Uh, you don't probably need as much handling before you take it out on the field. But I would certainly avoid gave the experience. I would certainly be one to think it was 100% steady. Yeah. As much as you can with a dog. Yeah. And then I would take it out just me and a friend or just one other person shooting. I wouldn't take it out to a big charge around day, you know, with the dogs or a big tower shoot. I'd take it there and I'd go one, you know, one at a time. If it, what I, I tend to do with mine you know, I just had it on a lead and let's just see a bird fall to the ground to start off with. Say no. You know, it's, you're still in training. Mm-hmm. So I say the word no, just like I would as I've been training. Slip it off a lead, walk it away from where it's seen the bird, make it heal with me and send it back for it. Nah. And if that went well, then I give it another one. And then I may, you know, give it another two or three. And then I take it home. With a, a good good ending. Mm-hmm. The moment if you can stop that breaking happening, it's a very very easy road ahead. Now, most stops will break on you. Yes. Yeah. Let's get in real work. So, what do you do if it breaks? Well, first of all, you'll get people try and run out to them, or whatever, and try if you can get to the bird before the dog or well and good. But what do you do? Once it has broken, and what I tend to do, I take the bird out of its mouth, tell it to sit, and throw the bird away, and say no, and then walk it away and let it have it afterwards. But it will know that I didn't want that bird, right? Um, and nothing forceful. It's just just gruff voice, whatever. 
But what I think what we tend to do, you know, people are in too much of a rush to get that first bird in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Then once they get the bird, every now and again, you'll get a dog that says, hey, I don't want bumpers anymore. I only want pheasants. I only want pikes. I only want pigeons. Now you've got a hard road ahead because you've always got to have game around you. Yep. And, and you make and more problems for yourself. It's a slippery road. So, you know, not only that, it would be like me and you going down the pub, you know, once we're able to drink beer and having a glass of water. Right. But at the end of it, you know, that's that's why we're not allowed to drink at eight years old, isn't it? Right. <laughs> we're drinking beer at eight, eight years old or something like that. Then you, you would think, hey, um, this water's no good. And the, the dog's going to think the same about a bumper. Right. Or dummy, because it's just not got so much interest. In, it's not the interest factor's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I mean, you're saving yourself a, a a lifetime of headache by just waiting to expose that dog to birds. So let me ask you this, and you know, these were some of the some of the early uh, puppy questions, of course. But okay. what if a dog wants to play uh, tug of war with you, right? Like you, the dog's got a dummy or something like that in his mouth and of course we don't want we don't want tug of war because that might rip your birds right boy how do you how do you stop a dog from a puppy from trying to play tug of war with you you get the dummy you just get the dummy Mm -hmm. and you just take it from it i've never had a dog ever want to play tug of war with me never had one of my own ever want to do it so yeah you might get it with a sock dummy a little bit but Mm -hmm. you just I just pat the dog and take the dummy out the dummy out of his mouth straight away. Just take oh, it. Yeah. It soon learns to give it up. And if it if it wants to jump back for more, I just lift it up in the not lift the puppy up in the air, I just take the dummy away from it. Right. And just put it in my pocket and walk along, give it another retrieve a bit further down the road, the, the road or whatever. But I the best way to stop them, you know, tug of war is just take the dummy get them used to you taking it off of them. Okay. So you know, and so you're in your house, you know, it's playing with a toy or a bone, just let it play with it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt you by just being a little pup playing with a bone or a, or a toy in the house or anything like that. It's, you know, we've got to remember it's teething and stuff like that. So just let them get on. But tug of war is normally developed by us tugging on it first. Yeah. So, like you're saying, reach in there and fully grab it. Don't pull, but actually grab the entire dummy. Yeah. The entire, yeah. You've got, I mean, it's yeah. little details like that that matter. I mean. And I will actually take it out of the dog's mouth, you know, just take it away from the dog. If I've got to open the dog's mouth to take it out, I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, try, and, I'll, I'll try and show you a bit of video tomorrow. I'll try and do a bit. Yes. So I've got to, Young dog. I mean, I've got a young dog here now. She's 16 months old. She delivers straight to hand, and I just take it straight off her. Hey, I'm here I for mean, Send me that video. I want to see how you do that. Yeah, I'll do it. I mean, she's already given it to me, so I'll have to wait till I get one of these other parts. I mean, she's just... I've never had a dog want to play tug of war with me. Right. Right. I um, I had Ruger, my dog. He's, he did a little bit, but I mean... I don't know. I didn't, I, I like you, I didn't have anything that was just, 
you know, totally insane that, you know, would upset me or anything like that, you know? Um, so let me, let me ask you this, um, because, you know, I, I think the idea of the British training methods, like a lot of people idealize it, but I don't, I don't think we really know what that process and method is truly like, um, here in America. I mean, I, I know some do, but I don't, I'm not fully convinced, man. What, what would you say, you know, in, in training a dog under British training, uh, methods and techniques what what is like the one t- big takeaway for it socialization is the main the main aspect of all this yeah we walk our dogs twice a day whether they're trained or not we all do so already now as a puppy you're going out bathroom whatever even the training kennels, you know, you, you've got kennels over here a lot larger than ours. I mean, if there's people with 10 dogs over there, that's a lot of dogs mm-hmm. in the kennels. So most of those people are amateurs. We call them amateurs. I mean, they're as good as anyone's going to get. But at the end of the day, those dogs are their best mates as well. Mm-hmm. Whether it be the Springer guys, the Cocker Spaniel guys, the Labrador guys, they're the, they're the pals, you know? Yep. And they don't, and they put everything into these dogs. And when, we've got to remember, when people are traveling down the country with these dogs, trialing, going, shooting, whatever, we've got to remember over there, the fuel prices are $12 a gallon. Good Lord. So, you know, we walk them, we trial them, yes, but we don't trial dogs that ain't up to it because... Twelve dollars a gallon hurts. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, that's what. I'm, but go back to that. I mean, it is the main difference I see, and everything I see here, is that dogs are more. In the UK, the dogs are more set up for family life by the way they're they're produced. Hmm. Again, like I said, so walking. You know, you let them out twice a day, you go to the bathroom. If they're in kennels or three times a day, um, you take them a bit of a walk around or, you know, they're born, they're always being handled, et cetera, et cetera. It's a big difference. It's a socialization. And all that walking, when they go for a walk, they're now starting to adapt for family life because people can take a dog for a walk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't just have them to go in the house. They want they have a dog, so they want to go for a walk with it, whether it be a you know, a rambler or a, just a regular pet. I mean, we sell a lot of do- a lot of my um, trial bred dogs would would go to pet homes for companions and things like that, which would never these people would never shoot, right? But they'd like the dog because it was trainable, and that's what that's the big that's the big number one thing I, I believe is a socialization aspect and not being dominated by the collar. Mm-hmm. That is your. I mean, we don't. If a dog don't retrieve, we give it as a way as a pet. Right. Over there, we try and get it to retrieve. We don't force fetch them. We don't whatever you other people do over here with them. We don't do all that. We right. yeah, we try our hardest. We try different 
ways to get it retrieving, yeah, with different toys, different ways, you know, different bumpers, whatever, we all try. But if it comes down to it and it's a non retriever, we don't want it in the gene pool, so we give it away as a pet. Mm-hmm. Or somebody may give you puppy money for it. But we certainly don't breed from it. Right. Right. I mean, you're still, and in, in that way, you're still setting that dog up to be happy. Once you've you know, got one you breed from. Mm-hmm. Well, if you breed from one of those, let's say, let's say you force fetched it and you bred from one of those, okay, and you did get it right, and then you breed and you forget how, what a pain in the backside it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. how many more of those are you going to breed? You right. Bring two, bring two in the next litter, you can breed, breed a whole litter of them. Right. And now already you're starting to hurt what you want to do. Right. You're starting to hurt, you're starting to hurt your next dog. And the next one down the line by breeding from that one there. Right. And so, I mean, and that's, that's an important thing, you know, to, uh, to really think about, man. I mean, you're only, and again, this is something you told me, you're only, you know, as good as your next dog. So yeah, you, you, you have to you think try, things. Well, as a breeder, you should be thinking, what can I put? What does my dog what would I like to see slightly different in my dog when you when you've been out shooting with it or trying with it or what would you like to see that is slightly different? It may be looks, it may be speed, it may be bone, what it you have a look at it and you do if you're real, real critical of your own dogs and which you should be, mm-hmm. in your own mind, you you know, the worst thing in the world is to be kennel blind. So you've got to think, what do I need? What is this? What is the sire of this pup's going to bring to my female? Or if I go and you know want to buy a female, what what is in this line that I want to to get for my dog? Is it pace? Do I need a little bit more honesty in it? You know, you really have. You've got to think it over. Mm-hmm. And the worst, you know, we can all we've all got the best dog in the world, haven't we? Right. <laughs> all we all have. Right. And he and he. You know, and once he's been dead 20 years, he gets even better. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you do. I mean, you might have been cussing him up and down hill, but once he's been dead at 10 or 15 years, the trees get longer. Right. And the dog gets better. <laughs> you know? Um, but at the end of the day, you, you really have. And I, and I think you've got, you've got to be super critical. You've got to be knowing what you want. I hear these people saying, oh, I want a dog with his hard charging and and I need it doing this and I need it doing that. And you think, no, you don't. You don't need a hard. Why do you want a hard charging dog? What, what are you going to do with a hard charging dog? Where's your TV going to be when you come in at night? Is it going to be still on the table or is it going to be on the floor? Right. You don't, you don't need that. You know, these the American filter guys, yeah, they need hard charging dogs. I've seen it. I mean, like I said to you before, they do fly out there and they got to be doing that. Mm-hmm. But just the guy that wants his dog in the house and go hunting, want it to be nice for the kids, want it to be hopping in the car, getting the kids from school, be a general fam- family member and a hunting man's dog, he don't need a hard charger. Mm-hmm. You don't. He wants a sensible dog that listens. Yeah. So this is where these brick dogs come in because a lot of them, you're just saying, hey, what are you doing? 
And if you train them as a puppy, no means no. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if you, let's say you bought your pup, okay, and you got it at home and it's in the house and you, and the dog's going up and ragging on the curtains, all right? Mm-hmm. You've had a, you've had a crap day at work, you come in, you sit down and you say to that dog, hey, stop doing that in curtains. And so you say the word no and it carries on doing it. You think, oh, shit. Shit, I'll have me beer a minute instead. Anything, I'm gonna buy a new pair of curtains anyway. You know, already that dog means realize no means absolutely nothing. Right. And you know, so it's enabled that it, dog, yeah. Yeah. So it's already learning. So if it's doing something and you've said the word no and it's carrying on doing it, get it to do something else, something you want it to do. Right. Whether it be you put it in the crate, whether you take it for a walk up the end of the, you know, the living room or whatever, anything. But you've got to stop it doing what you've asked it to stop doing. Right. It may mean picking it up and taking it away. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, just totally redirecting. It may mean dogs. calling it over to you. Yeah. You, you say that word, no. We, you, you've got to, you got to live by it. Because in, in, in the dog world, you know, in their, in their mind, it's wrong or right, isn't it? Right. It's, I mean, you know, it's when, like when in, in the dog world, I mean, if you say no and don't execute after that, oh, you just set yourself up for a world of problems. You have, and it, and it, and it, will, it will never get any better. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I always say, actually, if so, you buy a dog for the family or whatever, you want one trainer and other people help you train. Right. And then once it's trained, everybody can work it. But the, the most unfairest thing, if there's two of you training that dog, if there's two of you training it, and one of you is a lot less, um, you know, a lot less stern than the other, mm-hmm. that dog's always going to work to the weak link. Right. It's always going to pull to the extra, you know, to the one that's the, the leanest with it, you mm-hmm. know, the one that's, not as authoritative, really. Right. If you, if you don't put things right, so let's say you've got somebody allowing the dog to pull your six foot on that, that dog lead, it's not going to walk right for you. Right. Not through training. So one of you wants to be training, and one of you wants to go and watch while the other one trains, and then once they're ready to be, once they're trained, everyone can work it. Mm-hmm. But you can't have any kind of weak links or or any kind of inconsistencies in that training. And I've I've even noticed that in the house, man. You know, and 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 I've gone so far now is, and my wife is very good about it. You know, in teaching her the things that I teach my dog that I want him to do. So you know, so again, my dog doesn't observe her as a weak link. Exactly, and that's the best way. If you take, if you both go out and say, "Hey, this is how we're going to walk them. This is how we're going to," then that's fair. Right, you know, but the moment, the moment one of you says, "Oh, it don't matter," right. you know, then you, then you have you've got problems, and you're making your own problems worse, and it and it's not fair on the dog because, you know, you, one of you walks it one day, the other walks it the other, one of you lets it pull, the other one tugs it back, and it don't never get any better after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you've got you've got it's consistency in there. Right. Let's be honest. Right. Consistency. 
I mean, that's that's been the biggest thing, man. And and the moment that you you give way and and fall short, they will pick it up. Well, you're a school teacher. You should know. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, that there are days. Yeah. I mean, there are days that you know the days that I don't like go to work. Like if I have to take off or something like that, and if it's you know more than one or two days. Oh, there's a difference in my classroom when I get back. It's almost like I have to re, you know, recalibrate my classroom. Yeah, well, it's the same with me. If I go out there and I get five dogs out of the kennels and they all become idiots for a day, mm-hmm. that's not that's not a dog's fault. There's something wrong with me that day. Yeah. So you just want to do a bit of paperwork, you know, mm-hmm. or keep it simple and training. But generally, if that's the case, there's something wrong with me. It's not a dog. Right. And you have to be able to fact check yourself. You do. You have to think, hey, what, how, what's going wrong here? Mm-hmm. Or am I, am I doing something different? What, what's going on, you know? Right. And that's what you have to. And, and it, the, you know, like I said, I think the best thing about the, the most hardest thing with dog training is being honest with yourself. Uh, absolutely. And, and you, you know. And it's all right trying to correct a problem with a dog on however way we ever correct. Um, but before you do go through correction or, you know, get in the dog, play a scruff and they could give it a shake or whatever you want to do with it. First of all, you better know that you've trained it into that dog. Otherwise, it's you that needs a shake. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's right, isn't it? You can't just, you know, you can't just suddenly say to the dog, hey, you're going to go right and left today. I'm going to teach you right and left. Maybe I'm taught it to go one way first. Right. I mean, and again, that comes down to patience, man. Everybody wants a, a 10 month old field trial champion, but aren't, you know, folks aren't, aren't, are not out here doing the work that it takes to just simply get a personal champion. You know, I, I think if, if we stop focusing so much on, Say that again. This is my way of thinking. I don't think there's a I don't think there's a fully trained dog until it's like I personally don't believe there's a fully trained dog until eighteen months old, two years old. Wow. I don't think there is a fully trained dog. And I would I would even go as far to say a lot of them that one hundred percent trustworthy are three years old first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean and that's and that's that's playing it safe, man. I mean, think about it. Would you trust would you always trust your teenage kid with your BMW, like, all the time? No. Right. No. Definitely not. You know. Um, Definitely not. I mean, that's – that, and, and we've got to be, you know, cognizant of it. Like, with my dog, I don't have a, a training time limit on him. I mean, I want him to be successful, and, and he does well, you know, when we're out on pheasant shoots and things like that, but – I mean, he'll be two in in August, and he's still not where I want him to be, and that's fine. You know, take but your time. right, it take, take time. more time than rush it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Robin, yeah. I mean, I think that really, you know, kind of summed up a good bit of uh, puppy training, and and we'll likely revisit this topic again. I mean along with a lot of others, but I wanted to get you on um, for the first segment of the Gundog Notebook and just kind of elaborate on that process. I uh, I want to get some more listener questions in for the next time we do this. 
And, um, you know, so is there anything else you want to kind of leave with before we kind of wrap everything up? Yeah, there is one thing. I think what we got to remember when we're buying this puppy, the only thing we can be in control of at this point is the, is the pedigree yep. and what we want to see. So what I would say to people, make sure these dogs do have working backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Ask the guy about them. There's lots of different things. You can research your dog on the internet now, whether it be American field dog or a British field dog. There's right. plenty of things you can research. And just be careful, you know, what you buy, because that's the only thing. Until that puppy's born, until it's eight years or eight weeks old, it's the only thing we're in control of at that point is the health of your puppy plus what it's got in its pedigree. Right. Now, there's plenty of people out there that'll help you. I'll gladly take phone calls from people Absolutely. about pedigrees, gladly, um, just to help them out because that dog now is either going to be the light year life for 12 years or pain in the backside for the next 12 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's you know, that and, commitment, yep. Yeah, and then so what I'm saying to people, sometimes people go out and buy a started dog or a finished dog or whatever. I always say to people, if it's your first dog, sometimes you want to start with a finished dog. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, because you'll see what you've got and what what's in this finished dog. Right. So you can train your next dog. So right. you can bring on a puppy behind it. But, you know, everyone to their own. Everybody, I think a puppy's very good to bond with, but don't be frightened to ask people. You know, don't, don't be frightened. But just be careful that you don't ask too many people and they put your head in the spin. Right. Well, that was my mistake. Just, you know... Again, asking too many people and getting confused and and sidetracked. I mean, I think you really have to commit to, you know, one particular idea or training, whatever, or philosophy and stick to it. You know, and and, and that's not saying don't do the research. But like you said, just don't get yourself confused. I would, you know, I would really recommend that if you build in that word, that means you're fed up with what the dog is doing, whether it be no or whatever you want to say, stop doing it or whatever. I really recommend that doing that in a gruff voice. Right. That's how they communicate in the wild or they get a shake. Mm-hmm. We've all seen the wildlife programs. We've all seen them wolves oh. and bloody whatever and lions. They don't go and do anything other than, you know, it either gets a smack around the head by mum's paw right. or it gets shook around the, around the scruff of the neck. And, you know, none of these dogs, none of these are born with form of electric shock system. Right. They're not, I mean, no, no dog is built with that, no. No. So they've developed quite nicely, and they've done pretty well over the years. They'd be, otherwise, they'd be like the dinosaurs extinct. Right. So... That when you're looking at it like that, the only way they do it is by telling it off or giving it a damn good shake around the scruff of the neck. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't need to do that with a puppy, 
but you can certainly get it by a scruff and say, hey, what are you doing? And put it in its crate. If it's peeing you off, if it's having a bad, you know, tugging everything around or starts jumping up people or nipping at your feet or whatever it's doing, you can soon put it in a crate and then let it out when it's calmed down. If it starts to behave again, put it back in the crate. Right. And, you know, and I think it's very important as well. Right. Puppy. If you're going to start training it, when you start, whenever you start training it, just keep the lesson short. Mm-hmm. Little and often is good. Just because you've got a spare hour, it doesn't have to have every minute of that hour. Right. And and you can even do, you know, various trainings, you know, multiple times a day. You know, you don't have to just have one good long hour long. Little step. and often is the best. Right. Little and often. Dogs learn by memory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not because they can understand English. French, German, whatever, they learn by memory. Right. We used to have, we used to look after a, a lord and ladies, their three or four dogs. Anyway, so one day, this nine-year-old dog, I think it was at the time, came to us, gets out of the car, goes to the holly bush, pushes the rabbit out of it. Hmm. Every day, every time that dog came to us, and that would come like, Make them three months, make them six months, but whatever. Whenever that dog came to us, first place that one would be the Ollie Bush. <laughs> wow. And yeah. we, may, we may not have seen it for four months. We may not have seen it for five months, but it go to the Ollie Bush. Yep, they remember. There you go. That's memory. Yep. Yep. I mean, these guys are smart, man. They're highly, highly, highly intelligent uh, creatures. And, and just being mindful of that, man. Like, I'm. I'm a true believer as far as memory um, that, you know, anything you do, that dog is going to take in and it's going to digest any of the actions that you put towards it. You know, they don't forget. That's what I said to you just the other day on that podcast. Mm -hmm. Every day, end of my training day, I'll go up and give every one of those dogs a biscuit. Yep. Yep. That's the last thing I remember me doing with them. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that'll save you a world of trouble. And, you know, to kind of just conclude everything, man, if we're not building trust with our dogs, then we're, we're walking, you know, 10 miles the wrong way. If you're not building confidence you. in that puppy and, and, it, and again, it has nothing to do with putting it on birds and, and having this amazing, this, that, no, it's the simple things. Com- learning to communicate with the dog you know for me sometimes when, when my dog was a pup sometimes i would just sit down and let it rummage around and just try to study its habits you know just like yep. people well, what a, if you get a dog and this is us moving on a little bit further now say you've got a dog and you sent it for you haven't sent you've called it back to you and mm-hmm. it's completely put two fingers up and carried on running away. People will say, "Oh, the dog came, is coming back to me. I can't, I can't tell it off because it won't run into me." But you can go beyond the point where you first recalled it. As long as you go beyond that and put it on the lead and take it back in a gruff manner, hey, what are you doing, bugger, or whatever, and drag it back and then make it sit where it stuck its two fingers up to you. You walk back to where you were and recall it from there to you. Mm-hmm. 
make it make it right make that dog function correctly you could even put a retrieve between you and the dog as extra reward right so it picks it up and comes back to you but the moment you allow that dog to stick the two fingers up and carries on down the road now you're teaching a dog that your recall means absolutely nothing I think first I think I think the recall is the number one thing for any dog, any gun dog, any pet dog, whatever. You should be able to call that dog back from any situation. Right. Right. I mean, that's just, that keeps that dog safe. That keeps a mannerable yeah. hunting and house part, partner. I mean, that that recall is highly important, man. I think it's number one Yep. in any dog. Yep. Um, I mean... Uh-huh. You know, and, and and that's that's a good way to, uh, you know, get a to build a bond with a puppy really early. You know, before you get to teaching them sit, stay and, you, you know, because sit and stay is kind of a forceful thing. I mean, it kind of is, um, you know, and, and recalling. I mean, the puppy gets to run. It gets to, you know, as long as he's coming back to you, that seems a bit more enjoyable than sitting in the same place. Yeah. But what I would say is for the pet people out there is that when you recall them and people give treats, okay, I always say, learn to put them on a lead once they come back to you and then give them the treat. Mm-hmm. Don't give them the treat before you put them on a lead because some dogs soon learn out, learn very quickly. You give them the treat and they clear off again. Right. So what is very important, what, so what you want to do, first of all, you want to give them treats every time and then, do like one in five, one in ten, whatever, you know, and just let them guess when you're going to give them the treat. Right. But always put the lead on first. Right. That's important. Yeah. You used to having the lead. Yep. And, you know, and you'll see that. Um, I actually noticed that in a lot of uh, in a lot of the videos that I watch on YouTube. Like, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dave Carey. Um, right. He's, he's a shooter over in the UK and you know, some of his videos there, you know, you'll see the dogs and the handlers, they, they do exactly what you were saying. You know, they'll come and, and sit and, and the handle will kind of pet them up and rub them up and they'll snap that leash on that lead and then they'll reward the dog. I mean, you know, there you go. It, and I, and even that, that little small, you know, thing goes light years, you know? What it does is they get the habit, I'll have the lead, then I'll get the treat. If right. I stay here long enough, you know, I'll get a treat. But you want to have that lead on first. Right. So, I mean, that is that is definitely, you know, important. And I, I, I just really think that understanding, you know, communication techniques and patterns and, and puppy training, man, that'll give you – That'll make the next 12 to 14 years of that dog's life and yours, I mean, just super phenomenal, you know, and people... It's so easy to do it. Yeah. It's so easy to do it the first six months of his life. Mm -hmm. First six months of his life, it's so easy to do it. Yep. That's, I mean, they're like little sponges, man. Yeah, exactly that. And like I said, you know, you either do it like like that or, you know, I think, I believe the dog learns as from six months to 12 months as quick as it, you know, that time. And then all of a sudden it starts to go through the teenage years. Right. Um, and then you, you have to be a little bit more forceful or you have to 
you know, really tread carefully what you're doing. Uh, to to even make half an hour of it, then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the, the teenage years, they'll blow you off. <laughs> oh yeah, they do it, and you just gotta. Sometimes you just gotta put them back in or, or keep it simple for a bit. Right. Right, and just let them go. And I mean, and, and now it it is also important though. Before <laughs> I do want to say this, we keep coming up with stuff before we get off, but. You know, sometimes it's very I, I see a lot of people not know the difference between uh, whether that dog is blowing you off or that dog doesn't know what you're asking it to do. And it's very important to know the difference between the two. I think it's a lot. Very, very important. I think you've got to. It's about reading your dog and, you know, and sometimes it, don't be afraid to go back. Mm-hmm. in your training rather than rush too far forward. Right, right. It's about putting the foundations in, you know, the, the you know, foundation of your training, which is your obedience, and then going further, you know. Right. But if you miss parts of it, you know, if it's like a house, you do the foundations wrong, it falls down when you put a roof on. And unfortunately, the roof of the hunting dogs in the shooting field. Mm-hmm. That's where your that's where your your roof is. When you start shooting over it, and then you go back again, and there's only so many times you can go back to zero. Right. I mean, and and knowing how to do that, and again, when you start shooting over that dog again, there is a proper way to do that too. Yeah, we can go through that. Mm-hmm. At a later date, can't we? On that, right? Well, well I. That. You want to know building blocks and right. I mean, I don't think I don't think gunfire should be introduced in terms of puppy training. So I do want to go back over gunfire and things like that. But that's a bit more into probably when we get to talking about introducing, you know, game and birds and things like that and and that whole process. So you know, every feed time, every time my dogs are fed out here, even these little five week old pups, four week old pups. Hmm. Every morning we go outside this house, I'll fire the cap gun. Right. And you just, just get them, you, just to get them used to the noise. But some people will fire that cap gun right right above their heads. Yeah, there's a, that's a 50-50 chance mm-hmm. of, of gun shy to getting through it. Right. Right. Well, most dogs, most dogs aren't born gun shy. People tell you they are. They're not. They're not, no. Most dogs are made gun shy. Mm-hmm. And That's why people say, oh, you've got a gun dog. I, I, I've i seen it. Oh, I, I I, never worried about it. I just took it out of five to 12 gauge by it. I said, and I'll say, well, you were very lucky then. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, two ways that is. Ruin or get through it. Right. I mean, I I just I cannot imagine uh, I couldn't imagine somebody walking up behind me and firing a gun, and I'd I'd be the calmest person in the world. We've well, we've all been you know scared by a loud noise that shocked us by by accident. We've all something clattered behind us and makes us jump. It's just the same for a dog, right? Well, just the same. 
it is. Well, we will um we'll elaborate a little bit more on that on another episode. But um Okay. Robin, I think that was a pretty good uh a good little, you know, overview of kind of, you know, puppy training. And again, this that's not a it's not an end all be all. We'll definitely touch the subject some more. Um but man, thank you for, you know, getting on and I I'm enjoying doing this. I I think we definitely should keep doing it and um you know just kind of monitoring the training pro- process and especially going into the hunting season there will be things that come up as well absolute pleasure yes sir all Good right pleasure. guys that is another episode of uh the gun dog notebook but also remember this is a segment and we're going to keep doing uh robin and i are going to keep doing for you all and uh that was puppy training with mr robin watson We will uh, catch you guys later on. And let me turn the recorder off, Robin.